Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 22 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Today I'll be sharing an article in podcast conversation form I wrote for the internet publication Medium, where I hope to share more of my articles and blogs. It's called Release Your Cows. What idea of happiness are you rigidly grasping, keeping you unhappy? This is sort of a listener request episode because someone commented on the article that they couldn't wait for the podcast. Now, I hadn't even thought of making it a podcast, so what the heck? Here goes. The very basics of Buddhism, as we have talked about before on this podcast, are the Four Noble Truths. But, you know, if you're like me, you're highly suspicious of anything labeled as the truth, especially labeled as the noble truth. It is said, though, that these four truths are referred to as noble because they liberate us from suffering. Now, I prefer to think of the word noble as indicating the attributes of courage and authenticity not as the attribute of someone born into royalty. I prefer to think of the word truth as what is true for you from your own experience and not as platitudes on high from someone or something. In that light, a noble truth is something you have discovered to be true in your life from your experience as an authentic and courageous traveler on this human journey, which is characterized, by the way, by suffering. So we are the noble ones. You know, the first noble truth is that the unenlightened life is suffering. You know, that's what I call the bad news of Buddhism. But a better translation of that word in Sanskrit, dukkha, which is typically, I think, mistranslated as suffering, is much more like the unenlightened life is sort of difficult or unsatisfactory. It can be a pain in the butt sometimes. So life always involves some sort of difficulties, unsatisfactoriness, and it does involve suffering as well either painful physical or emotional suffering, or just the more subtle and unsatisfactoriness. You know, even when things seem to be going good, there's always this sense of uncertainty, right? Sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Now, the second noble truth is that the cause of this suffering is craving, attachment, or grasping. You like something, you want to grab it, possess it, and keep it forever. Or, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you dislike something, a situation or a person, and you want to push it away. But, you know, even when you're pushing it away, or even if you have successfully pushed it away, what happens? It remains stuck in your mind. 
So either way, you're attached. You know, the the famous uh, Galupa Lama, Lama Yeshe said, attachment is where the mind sticks. And this stems from an ignorance about the nature of reality, the nature of what it is that really makes you happy. The third noble truth is that it is possible to end this unsatisfactoriness, this discontent, uh, this uh, suffering, this dukkha. We, we can unstick or lessen or even extinguish the sense of difficulty or unsatisfactoriness despite the circumstances. And this is referred to as liberation or nirvana or the enlightenment that comes from an inner peace or an inner freedom. The fourth noble truth is an active companion, you know, to the third, that the, the path to the end of dukkha, the end of this satisfac- uh, unsatisfactoriness or suffering, is outlined in the Buddha's teaching of the Eightfold Path. Now, the Eightfold Path is the practice to achieve happiness for yourself and others, and it's the, it's the practice that will gradually help you uh, release that mind stickiness. But the part of life that I think causes most of the problems for us is that second noble truth stuff that talks about attachment, grasping, keeping forever the things that we think will make us happy or continually focusing on the things that make us unhappy. Remember, even when we push something away, we tend to think about it for a while maybe for a long while. So it's the second noble truth then is about the constant battle to recognize that we are grasping at something, that our mind is stuck on something, and then identifying what it is we're stuck on and realizing that we're grasping at or what we're grasping at or stuck, stuck on is really not making us happy at all, but making us miserable. So I'm going to share a little bit of my own personal journey through a grasping at loss, a grasping that had caused me just an underlying sort of constant backbeat of frustration, anger, judgment, and reactivity as I was dealing with a series of losses happening in my life over a period of six years. Now, these weren't like you know, major constant losses happening over and over. But they were sort of losses that happened from the drifting away from friends and family and uncomfortable circumstances that pop up and things that kind of happen in our everyday. But it started piling up. It started seeming like a pattern. And my mind tended to sort of relive and focus and circle around the story of each one. You know, dealing with is an accurate characterization, but it's not quite true. The the Sara says to deal with is about coping, managing, taking care of, sorting out, or contending with. And there's the rub. That would mean dealing with is about recognizing that we are attaching to unhealthy states of mind, yet attachment is insidious. I realize that I may have been contending, I've been coping, but I certainly wasn't 
sorting out or taking care of. Not until one sleepless night in mid-March of last year when a whole lot of sorting out started happening at my usual 3 a.m. witching hour. That time where, you know, things in life, past, current, and future, wake you up and haunt you or or you're already awake and start to haunt you. That night, I opened my Kindle to read and my eyes fell on Titnot Han's book, No Mud, No Lotus, The Art of Transforming Suffering. I had read the book before, but didn't have a strong memory of it. It called to me like a bodhisattva emerging from the darkness to help me wrestle with these devils or Mara. From the minute I began reading the book, again that early morning, it had a significant influence, sort of propelling a huge leap in my own understanding or my awareness of my own situation. Up until that very moment, I had been operating in my own ignorant echo chamber, thinking that I had truly accepted each loss that I was reliving by repeating and believing I was living my sensei's teachings that, you know, acceptance is transcendence. I believed I had truly transcended because I thought I had accepted these losses. I'd even given Dharma talks about coming to that very realization. And, you know, maybe I was. Maybe I was slowly climbing a circular staircase of active acceptance, you know, sort of one step forward, two-step backs, circling around but keep looking at the same thing over and over again from different angles. But Titnot Han's teaching helped me see that I wasn't digging deep enough into those series of losses. I never had the guts to embrace the hurt of the losses and stay with that embrace until the discomfort went away through a release or true acceptance Instead, I was dealing with it by, how? By attaching to it. So that pattern of loss just kept it kept going as this faint rhythm, sort of an underlying backbeat of this story that I was attaching to. Titnot Han stresses that the, the nirvana part, the liberation part of dukkha or suffering, reveals itself if we get deep into the suffering, pushing our Buddha nature lotus roots deep into the mud. He writes, But we must remember that suffering is a kind of mud that we need in order to generate joy and happiness. Without suffering, there is no happiness. So we shouldn't discriminate against the mud We have to learn how to embrace and cradle our own suffering and the suffering of the world with a lot of tenderness, unquote. Wow, that whole tenderness of our own suffering business was completely foreign to my way of dealing with suffering. A stiff upper lip is my go-to in times of trouble. I was stiff in dealing with dukkha. And like a brittle tree in the wind, I was breaking. In dealing with a series of these, the series of these eight losses of people and associations in my life over six consecutive years, I got stiff. And in that stiffness itself is a symptom of attachment. 
that was very far from tender. Titnut Han pinpoints that this is exactly how our suffering actually thrives. He writes, it thrives because we enable it and feed it. We ruminate on it. We, we ruminate on our suffering, regret, and sorrow. We chew on them, swallow them, and bring them back up, unquote. Also, like the farmer whose cows ran away in the story Titnat Han told in this book, friends, family, and associations in my life seemed to run away. And each time, I didn't understand why. The story, as Titnat Han tells it, goes like this. One day, the Buddha was sitting with the, some of his monks in the woods. They had just come back from an alms round and were ready to share a mindful lunch together. A farmer passed by looking very distraught. He asked the Buddha, Monks, have you seen some cows going by here? What cows? The Buddha responded. Well, the man said, I have four cows and I don't know why but this morning they all ran away. I also have two acres of sesame, and this year the insects ate the entire crop. I've lost everything, my harvest and my cows. I feel like killing myself. The Buddha said, Dear friend, we have been sitting here almost an hour, and we have not seen any cows passing by. Maybe you should go and look in the other direction. When the farmer was gone, the Buddha looked at his friends, the monks, and smiled knowingly. Dear friends, you are very lucky, he said. You don't have any cows to lose. In an instant, on reading that story, I understood a lot more about my own attachment and the nature of attachment in general. Titnat Han explains that one of our biggest quote-unquote cows is that we have this narrow idea of what happiness is, and we suffer because of that idea. He says, you continue to suffer until one day you are capable of releasing the idea, and right away you feel happy. Every one of us has an idea of happiness that can become too entrenched and too rigid. Every one of us has cows to be released, unquote. You know, my case, in my response to what I perceived to be this pattern of losses I was suffering, I was rigid around continuing to revisit each one. And like the farmer, you know, my mind would continue to repeat, I don't know why, but they all ran away. I don't know why, but they all ran away. Why would they do that? No answers came. So I kept repeating the same stories. I felt the farmer's despair. When your cows run away on their own volition, there's nothing you can do to get them back. You're face to face with your complete lack of control over your cows, or in my case, over these other people. And isn't that the major dread in life? Losing control? Not getting what you want? and losing what you have, yet that is the nature of the impermanence and interdependency of life. As a Buddhist practitioner and teacher, I knew all that, right? All about impermanence and interdependency. But like I said before, attachment is insidious. 
even knowing I continued to revisit the shock, the disbelief, the anger, and it fed on itself. And yet, yeah, I said I got over it, quote-unquote. I got over the loss of each of the cows the, by burying my feelings until the anger and resentment bubbled up and over after the 2016 United States presidential election. You know, Titnot Han wrote in the book again, quote, the main affliction of our modern civilization is that we don't know how to handle the suffering inside us, and we try to cover it up with all kinds of consumption. Retailers peddle a plethora of classic and novel devices to help us cover up the suffering inside. But unless and until we're able to face our suffering, we can't be present and available to life. And happiness will continue to elude us, unquote. Indeed, the last of my eight losses was not so much personal this time, but more of what I would consider a worldly loss when Trump became president of the United States. Now, you know, my point here is not to bring political opinions into this uh, episode, this podcast, but this was a major perceived loss on my part and on the part of many, actually. And it was one that I was attached to, addicted to. And thanks to those devices that Titnot Han mentioned, those devices that allowed me to find a comfortable network of people raging with me on social media echo chambers. It was like my bottled emotional response to the series of losses was finally able to discharge when the country and the world responded to the results of the election in shock, disbelief, and anger. But you know, thanks to Titnot Han, who triggered that digging deep into the mud, I came to realize that in many ways, my clinging to the anger, rage, and resistance against Trump and his administration was exactly how I hid from some of the more personal and painful losses I was feeling. And when I continued to dig in the mud, I realized, just as Titnot Han taught, he wrote, you, can, you continue to suffer until one day you are capable of releasing the idea and right away you feel happy. Every one of us has an idea of happiness that can become too entrenched, too rigid. Every one of us has cows to be released, unquote. You know, I suddenly felt a freedom over the losses, all of them. Not just a freedom from suffering over the losses, but a freedom from the loss of those people, a freedom from the loss of the associations themselves. No, I didn't initiate the release of those cows, so they did seem like losses, but they were actually releases, a release I didn't realize until I started relaxing into the mud. These releases created an uninvited freedom, bringing a sense of peace and happiness. On that day in mid-March, I took a vow to disengage from social media for 21 days. You know, they say 21 days and you build a habit. Well, I took that vow to disengage from the anger, 
the judgment and reaction that social media and the news offers continuously. And the peace that came from my vow stretched beyond the 21 days. To this day, over a year later, well, actually, about a year later, I am still disengaged from political and other angry, judgmental, reactionary discourse on social media. I read more books, more of those books that pile up around me. I treat myself and those around me just a little bit more tenderly, and I started to notice the world that was right in front of me again. Titnat Han teaches that we can make peace with our suffering by, quote, coming home to ourselves, unquote. He writes, it requires that we make peace with our own suffering, treating it tenderly and looking deeply at the roots of our pain. It requires that we let go of useless, unnecessary sufferings, in other words, release the second arrow, and take a closer look at our idea of happiness. Finally, it requires that we nourish happiness daily with acknowledgement, understanding, and compassion for ourselves and those around us, unquote. You know, Titnat Han says that letting go takes a lot of courage. This is the nobility inherent in the noble truths. You are noble to let go. But once we let go, happiness comes very quickly. You don't have to search for it because it's right there all the time. I release the cow of anger over life doing what life does. It separates us from people and things, and friends and circumstances fall away. It's natural. It's the truth of life. I let it all go. In its place, I came up with four promises to ensure all my cows are released every day. Four promises I came up with, and you'll have to come up with your own, I'm sure, that will be more suitable to what's going on in your life every day. But my four are, one, It's not about me. Two, you can't control everything. Three, you can't change other people. And four, just be kind. So release your cows is a practice I will keep. Maybe it can help you too. You know, Titnat Hans suggests that we take a piece of paper and write a list of our cows the things that we are attaching to, either the things we think we need to be happy, or like me, the things we think are making us unhappy. Maybe you can release one starting this week. Maybe you can release one each week. It might take months or a year or more, but each release will bring you more joy. That's it for today's episode, my special little listener requested episode. Thank you for joining me. Thanks to everyone who listens to the podcast, comments on my website or the new public Facebook group, and donates to help keep the content written, produced, and distributed. If I haven't replied to your messages yet, I will. And I always do try to reach out with a private email of thanks, but like I've said continuously, you know, the numbers are growing and I promise to get to it when I can get to it. And because of sort of the backlog in my answering 
personal emails, I launched a new Dharma to go forum that for a small donation, you will be guaranteed a timely personal answer to your question. Dharma to go can be found at dharma go.com or through the Dharma to go tab on my website. Additionally, some other news, I'm looking for more ways to offer valuable extras to the growing community around this podcast that is formed on my public Facebook group. I have a couple of announcements coming up very soon, About one about a practice group using the Eightfold Path as an everyday Buddhism practice. This will be a monthly video chat group with special mini-podcasts and postings during the month. You can join through an invite coming soon on my public Facebook group or join my mailing list to be notified about the start of this donation-based special group that will relocate to a private Facebook group. And a book study group is coming up very soon. We had a poll that I ran on the public Facebook book group uh, between uh, four, I think about four suggested books. And the winner of that poll was The Wise Heart, A Guide to the Universal Teachings of Buddhist Psychology by Jack Kornfield, a great book. And we will be studying it together very soon. So uh, to join that group, watch the public Facebook group or join my mailing list. And please consider supporting my work to sponsor more of these great activities and to continue podcasts through a recurring or one-time donation through the Donate tab on my website, everyday-buddhism.com or everydaybuddhism.com. And until next time, keep making your everydays better. Better.